Welcome to Exploring Rural Health, a podcast from the Rural Health Information Hub. My name is Andrew Nelson. In this podcast, we'll be talking with a variety of experts about providing rural health care, problems they've encountered, and ways in which those problems can be solved. This is part one of a multi-part series about maternal health in rural America. Today we have four guests. We're going to be talking to John Supplett, the Senior Director of Field Engagement in Rural Services at AHA, along with Aisha Sayada, who's the Senior Program Manager of Strategic Initiatives at AHA, as well as Virginia Eulenkamp, the Director of the Birthplace at St. Anthony's Regional Hospital in Carroll, Iowa, and Ashley Weeder, an Outreach Coordinator at the Birthplace. Thank you all for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And John, I'll start with you. Uh, in the last few years, what kind of changes have you seen occur in the availability of rural OB services? I have to say, Andrew, that is a loaded question. We've seen quite a difference in the last few years in terms of the availability and access to rural OB. You know, rural communities in the United States have higher rates of both infant and maternal mortality, as well as serious pregnancy complications. And then this becomes exacerbated by the limited healthcare access. And based on AHA annual survey data between 2015 and 2019, there were at least 89 obstetric unit closures in U.S. rural hospitals. And more than 50% of rural counties have no hospital-based obstetrical services. So maternity care deserts have a higher poverty rate and a lower median household income than counties with adequate access to maternity care. And most of these deserts occur in rural areas. So for both women and infants, the risk of death is elevated among black and indigenous people. Can you expand a little bit on how these issues affect rural patients in general? Well, it affects them in numerous ways. It's one enough one to say that we have a lack of number of services, but that lack of services stems from the lack of clinical capacity in order to provide those services in the community. And in the absence of those services, then patients are are required to travel longer distances. And there's literature that really shows not only the distances that are being traveled by patients in order to access OB services, but how that travel can in fact complicate the delivery of care once they arrive at their destination. So, so we've, we've seen a lot of changes that have taken place, and unfortunately, most of those are, are on the negative side. So that certainly causes a lot of difficulties on the patient side of things. From a business perspective, what are some challenges for critical access hospitals and other labor and delivery services? Well, Andrew, you know, to provide the services, it costs money. And once upon a time, uh, uh, obstetric services was seen as a loss leader. It was a way in which rural hospitals could connect with their community and bring the patients, the moms and the infants into the, into the hospital and, and keep their loyalty throughout the duration of their lives in the community. Yet the single greatest challenge today is the lack of clinical capacity to perform safe deliveries, followed very closely by the cost of those services. And, you know, as I mentioned, there was a time when rural hospitals that had access to clinicians were willing to fund these services as a loss leader to meet that community need and then create those lifelong loyalties. But in the absence of the needed clinical capacity, 
Hospitals are no longer willing to fund obstetrics and therefore you're seeing them close the service. Today, most as in of a ratio of more than two to one, babies are being delivered by family physicians and not obstetricians. And the demand for the service is greater than the supply of the clinicians. How we train rural family docs then and how we supplement the shortage of obstetricians through midwives and doulas is critical then to meet the demand for the service. In addition, there's a need for improved coordination between rural hospitals that don't provide obstetric care and then regional hospitals that have obstetric care capacity, which could be accomplished through regional perinatal quality collaboratives and telemedicine networks. And I think when we talk to the folks from St. Anthony Regional Hospital in Carroll, they'll help us understand how they're doing it within their region of West Central Iowa and how it's working for them. And Virginia, as I mentioned earlier, you're the director at the birthplace at St. Anthony's. How is St. Anthony's able to improve their birth outcomes after the community health needs assessment they had in 2016? You know, one of the things that was identified was uh, mental health issues. And of course, that affects everyone across the board, whether they're moms, families, it just is a trickle down through the whole community. So one of the things addressed was the depression screening referral on all moms, both prenatally and postpartum, and then referrals made depending on what is shown through those screenings. Another um, initiative that was brought forth was what they call post-birth warning signs. And this was an initiative by AWAN, the Organization for Neonatal and Obstetric Nurses. It focuses in on warning signs postpartum related to hemorrhage, related to depression, related to preeclampsia. So it is a education package that every mom gets when they deliver here about those post-birth warning signs. And it's very clear about when to call and when to come to the hospital. Two categories, do not pass go. Um, it's a great education program. The other thing that um, St. Anthony has done is join the Iowa Maternal Quality Coalition. Um, and it is a, a group of hospitals throughout the state that has come together to um, bring the best practices forward and especially valuable for the rural hospitals like ourselves. And uh, one of their primary focuses this last year was reduction of the primary C-section rate by 10% across the state. Um, of course, we established that goal for ourselves here at St. Anthony and we're able to accomplish that. And obviously, if you reduce that primary C-section rate, you are going to reduce the morbidity and mortality um, for both mom and babe. Um, and some of the strategies were to use best practice algorithms in managing a labor and managing that baby on the monitor that just isn't giving you good information about its well-being. Um, those are always the one that were like, how long can we stare at this monitor and let this go? When do we need to um, make our move? What kind of interventions can we do to ensure a healthy outcome? Um, and that has been a huge boon to hospitals across the state. Their next package of quality measures will be related to obstetric hemorrhage. Um, we've looked at our early elective inductions. You know, induction of labor is certainly a, on the rise throughout the nation and um, lots of studies out there related to elective inductions before 39 weeks, um, meaning there's no medical indication. So we've looked closely at those. Those are evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis. The other thing we've looked at is just 
um, and this is all through IMQCC, is the family-centered um, experience. And one of the things we've looked at is skin-to-skin -skin contact after delivery. We do it so well for our vaginal deliveries, but um, this expanded that to the OR, so it's kind of related to that whole C-section um, initiative. And the, the IMQCC has just been a, a wonderful thing because it brings best, best practices across the board. Yeah, and Ashley, you're the outreach coordinator at St. Anthony. What role does outreach play when it comes to providing maternity services specifically? It's an important piece of it. Um, in our area, um, we have three hospitals currently um, within a 45 to 60 mile radius that, that deliver. Um, the OB units that have closed um, six hospitals within the last, I think it's 17 to 20 years in our area have closed their obstetrical units. So that's, we're seeing, you know, that's just kind of where we're at. Um, so outreach, most of our patients come from the six surrounding counties. However, on any given year, we'll um, have families come from anywhere from 10 to 13 different counties. Um, so having communication with other hospitals and organizations is extremely important um, when it comes to serving the patient and meeting their needs. Um, that takes knowledge of services available that they can access and also kind of allows a better understanding of where gaps in care might be and creates that opportunity to build partnerships um, and really maximize the efforts in the area. So, um, you know, providing labor and delivery service isn't just about that two to three day stay and the inpatient unit, it really starts in that prenatal or even preconception period where making sure we have a healthy mom to begin with, supporting her through the pregnancy. Does she have access to healthy foods to support, you know, the, the growth of the baby and transportation to her prenatal appointments, um, all, all of those kind of things, um, addressing mental health things and connecting them with services they need there that all still affect the outcome for that mom and that baby. And so honing in on, on outreach and being able to build on those connections and know what, what we can do um, is really important. We um, recently received some funding from the Iowa Department of Public Health. Um, their Center of Excellence grant program has uh, allowed us to really expand on that a little bit. It's provided us with um, the availability for some of that outreach education that we're doing with the EMS crews and the other hospitals, and as well as just kind of expand on our general outreach program, making connections, building partnerships um, with other organizations, and and just looking at how we can, again, really maximize everyone's efforts for the best interest of the patient um, and making sure all their needs are met. What are some steps that rural hospitals can take to ensure patient safety and quality of care, even if they have low volumes? Some of the things that can be done are just the kind of the simple things that might be overlooked for that, but um, continuing to provide opportunity um, and to the staff that are there to enhance their skill set and their, their comfortableness with providing that service. Um, it's also a great way to keep staff engaged, which um, leads to kind of a workforce issue that we're also facing in, in the rural area and offering those services. So allowing them to expand on their skills and feel connected to their organization that they are supported um, kind of all, all plays into that. Um, communicating just 
basic communication with the staff on um, their comfort level of um, providing the, these different skill sets and finding out where they don't feel as comfortable and then identifying ways that they can improve that. So really just the, the communication um, for low volume um, hospitals, one opportunity to to keep up on those skills is through um, simulation labs, through sim labs. We're, we're fortunate to have a great simulation lab where those real life scenarios can be practiced. Um, so this is a great way to stay active in treating um, not only for your low volumes, but just treating those low occurring um, instances, those low occurring conditions that um, we see with patients. Obviously, we do everything we can to prevent a compromised situation on the front end, so we, we don't encounter those. So that's another thing that we, we may not have a lot of experience or exposure to. So doing simulation drills um, with those scenarios is a great way to make sure that if we're encountering those situations, that we're equipped to provide that high quality care um, and expose um, you know, the new graduate who may not have had the opportunity to experience that during their orientation because we don't see it as often, um, or even a nurse that's that's been working for a while um, but just hasn't had the opportunity to, to go through that scenario. So um, I think that just continuing that education, continuing that communication, um, and then Part of what we try to do as well as the drills is just have planned simulation as part of our um, staff meetings and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So we can talk through the situation with everybody um, from our team there. And, you know, you can pull those experienced nurses that have gone through that situation and said, when I went through this, this is what I learned and this is how we can improve upon our practices. Uh, I'll ask Ashley this. For rural hospitals that don't provide labor and delivery service, inevitably there are going to be emergency situations that arise. What are some of the things that hospitals can do to prepare and be ready for those situations? Um, I think acknowledging that um, the service is limited and that we are going to start seeing those, those things happen. We're going to start seeing more out-of-hospital deliveries or um, patients presenting to emergency rooms where those services aren't available. So looking at that as your, your own organization and saying, okay, what are we going to do to kind of help um, prepare for this situation? And then again, looking for those opportunities to keep skills sharp. Um, a hospital who may have recently closed their obstetrical unit still has staff who participated in it previously. And so um, keeping them up to date on what to do, um, have a plan as far as what team members you're going to pull into a situation like that and um, kind of looking at how you're going to handle that. Again, just because you aren't offering a service, continuing to keep their education current and know what best practices are um, and then looking for the opportunities um, to participate in things that are available. Um, we have um, recently through our outreach efforts um, been offering educational opportunities to our hospitals who aren't delivering and even those who are in the area still delivering but have lower volumes of um, neonatal resuscitation and the stable program, the stabilization of that newborn for transfer and looking at ways that we can get that training out to those hospitals that aren't seeing the deliveries um, to help them prepare for a situation 
and again, another area that we looked at making sure that they were um, educated are our um, EMS crews, um, making sure that our ambulance crews and those kind of frontline workers are prepared to go and meet that family at the side of the road and help them work through that delivery and that they are equipped to provide that service and really create the, the best possible scenario for a good outcome. Um, and so the goal of that outreach education is it's to collaborate with other hospitals, to collaborate with the EMS services and say, this is a, a problem in our region and we're going to work together to kind of address that. Here's what we can offer through that um, simulation lab, those kind of things to really help you guys feel um, supported as well because um, it's it affects, affects everyone. Yeah, definitely. Right now, workforce is a major challenge for healthcare across the country. It certainly affects the provision of maternity services as well. Uh, Virginia, what challenges have you seen rural hospitals face when they're trying to recruit healthcare providers? Well, obviously recruiting both providers and nursing staff is um, at issue. We are fortunate enough here at St. Anthony to have the volume of deliveries that allow for a, a well-built practice for a provider, as well as to allow for those nurses to maintain competency. And, you know, there's there's nurses out there who have a passion for OB and you just have to find them. The other part of that picture is being in a small community like this, our providers, as well as our nurses, they're part of the community. You take care of your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, people that you're gonna see again. As a provider, you establish those relationships throughout the community. You know your patients, you know your patients' families. It just provides a better experience all the way around. And I think that's one of the strong points for recruiting is, is the small community. These are people you're going to see again. Um, and our volume is enough to keep our skills current, um, both um, adding that support to providers and nurses. We have been fortunate to hire two new graduates out of the 2021 class and three new graduates out of the 2022 class. So very fortunate, as well as have experienced nurses on staff. And that's been a huge boon to those new grads to have those mentors. In your position at St. Anthony's, do you have any recommendations to address the supply of health professionals that are willing to provide maternal health services in rural areas? I think it's so important to provide residencies or preceptorships, student experiences. That's been huge across the board in our hospital for anesthesia services, for providers, both of our clinics here in town host medical students to um, experience the family practice uh, way of life in the small community. We have radiology students. We have, obviously we have several um, nursing schools in the area that do their experiences. Plus we provide preceptorships even from some of the larger universities if those nurses are willing to travel here or are from here. That would be the biggest thing is to provide those medical residencies in the small communities to get those students familiar with what it's like to practice in a small area and the strengths of that practice. The St. Anthony Foundation does offer scholarships, a number of them uh, for health-related fields, everything from uh, EMS, nursing, general, anything healthcare related. And I think sometimes when those scholarships are given to local students, it, it um, gives them the sense of community support maybe make them more likely to come back to their community to um, serve the people that have sent them on their way. And I think that's a great thing that the St. Anthony Foundation 
has started. Mm -hmm. Certainly, we've we've all seen how COVID-19 helped to increase utilization of telehealth in particular. Are there any newer communication technologies or forms of telehealth you found that have really improved communication between providers? Um, we continue to look for ways to um, utilize telehealth more. Um, one thing that we have uh, definitely imp implemented is the access to um, mental health services mm -hmm. through telehealth um, and again, outreach, sending our mental health providers to um, other hospitals and providing that service available closer to to the patient. Um, one communication tool, it's, it's, it's kind of new to us, so we're, we're still um, figuring it out, uh, is a platform that we use internally, um, Telemedic. Um, we're we kind of know that text messaging is becoming the way to communicate with people and our our nursing staff and providers were exchanging messages um, through that way and so we were looking obviously for a secure way to um, provide them with patient information so this um, platform allows us to do that in kind of a similar way um, and then it also has has different things built into it where if the provider hasn't looked at a message in a certain amount of time, it kind of re repings them to know that, hey, you have something about a patient waiting for you. Um, and then, you know, on the other end of it, the nurse can see if the provider has looked at that message or not. And um, so, so to know if, you know, okay, I really need to follow up. Um, we really don't use it for super urgent situations, um, you know, best method is always to just try to call the provider and, and speak to them um, in those instances. But um, we, we are looking at ways that we do that. One thing that we use um, a technology or kind of a way to reach um, patients education wise is one of our online platforms that we use um, our education tool. It's called Yomingo. Um, so again, we find patients will turn to a search engine to look up their question. So we wanted and found it important to offer them a app is what it is that they can put on their phone or their computer that they can access that has um, reputable information about whatever question they may have related to their their pregnancy or even the baby afterwards. So um, a couple of the technologies that we have looked at using, and again, we're, we're always looking at telehealth and how we can um, utilize that more. Um, it's just something that, especially for the um, obstetric world, that we just kind of have to think through a little bit. Yeah, I can see how it could be really helpful to have something like that that might be accessible on a mobile device or, or something uh, rather than uh, just being tied to a computer in the workplace. And so turning to Aisha, you're the Senior Program Director of Strategic Initiatives at AHA. Uh, as John mentioned earlier, maternal mortality rates in the United States are high compared with other developed countries, and they're even higher for rural residents in certain racial and ethnic groups. What are some of the factors that contribute to maternal health disparities? Yeah, that's absolutely right, Andrew. Um, rural res residents have a 9% greater probability of severe maternal morbidity and mortality. And we also know that American Indian, Native Alaskan, and Black women are two to three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women. 
So there's various disparities that contribute to these numbers. Um, in rural communities, we see more people with lower soci socioeconomic status, um, higher rates um, of incidences of hemorrhage. Um, there's limited access to healthcare specialists due to shortages of OBGYNs practicing in rural hospitals. Um, John, John also mentioned that rural hospitals are closing down more often now. Um, there's lack of insurance coverage. And then gets, it even gets more challenging when you have to travel so far out to just get some basic obstetric services. And then, you know, those are just to name a few, but we also want to highlight the, the role of historic and ongoing racism, discrimination, and implicit bias. Um, that contributes to maternal health disparities. Um, research has shown that women of color um, have reported not feeling heard or listened to by their providers during their pregnancy. Um, we've also seen higher rates of stress and anxiety and prenatal depression in black moms. And additionally, infant mortality rate is also affected by this. So it's higher in black infants compared to white and other racially diverse groups. So there's a bunch of factors that contribute to these numbers. Um, but, you know, as time goes by, we're recognizing that we have to address these factors. So hospitals are working towards addressing these factors um, and these disparities to provide better and equi equitable care to women and their babies. Um, so for example, we've seen hospitals adapt the AIMS maternal safety bundle on reduction of peripartum racial and ethnic disparities We've seen hospitals provide implicit bias training, culturally competent care training to better equip their providers in understanding their patients' needs and wants in their pregnancy or post-pregnancy um, journey. Um, hospitals are also starting to work with nursing schools and medical schools to integrate these concepts of social determinants of health, social needs, um, societal factors that influence health. Um, implicit bias, culturally competent care, all of that into their curriculum to better educate the, the future generation of providers and nurses. Um, so we don't have these, we don't, we're better um, suited to address these challenges as they come forward. Um, and that our, you know, our providers and our nurses are are equipped with the training and the knowledge to serve different types of women. Um, and people that are coming into their hospitals. Those are some ways in which rural hospitals can work to improve health equity for mothers and their babies. Can you give us some examples of external services that rural hospitals can direct families to in order to provide further support before, during, and after pregnancy? Yeah, so a couple of things come to mind. I think what hospitals definitely are doing now are looking into screening for social determinants of health and social needs um, that are impacting um, women. So we've seen rural hospitals partner with community-based organizations outside, obviously outside of clinical walls, um, and then social service organizations to refer patients to when um, a positive screen comes along. So having that support and having those resources in place and having those partnerships, partnerships in place have been really helpful for rural hospitals to build a connection and just have a repository of resources that they can direct moms to. Um, we've also seen an example of a hospital called um, Brookings Health System from South Dakota that have their first free doula program. It's staffed by volunteers who've been who 
who went to a doula training are supported by the regular medical staff. And they're really there to just um, provide additional support to moms during their um, pregnancy and delivery and postpartum journey. Um, sometimes doulas being um, members of the community has helped uh, patients be more open to them about what's what they really want and then having doulas communicate that to the provider um, has been helpful because it builds sort of a connection um, with the patient and the doula. Patients might not be comfortable um, with sharing some of their challenges with the providers and that's where kind of the doula comes in. They, they are um, from the community, um, most likely from um, from the same sort of ethnic or cultural background where patients might feel more comfortable sharing their needs and wants with the doulas rather than the providers. So they kind of become that medium um, to build a better um, a better way of providing coordinated care. Um, so Brookings um, is one of um, those hospitals that have that doula program and that they've seen great outcomes from it. Um, and then another um, another example is um, St. Peter's Health in Montana. They have a program called Taking Care of You, which is really focused on screening for perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, um, and then referring families and moms to community resources to better support when a need has been identified. Um, so those are some external services that hospitals are providing. And lastly, I know we've talked about tech-based um, solutions or tech-based um, um, approaches. So some hospitals are leveraging those tech-based solutions and digital solutions to reach more people in their served rural communities. Um, and they're doing that by making sure that they're running, that these solutions are running on local cellular network or are there um, or they are um, text-based services because every phone now you can text um, rather than having high-speed internet uh, rather than worry about broadband. So some of has, some hospitals are being mindful of making sure that there's that digital health equity aspect to their um, solutions that they're providing for their rural residents and communities. Um, hospitals are, we're, you know, as the American Hospital Association, we're always trying to gather um, feedback and input from all the different types of hospitals that are all the different work hospitals are doing to better improve maternal health outcomes. So um, just learning from St. Anthony's work and learning from other hospitals and being kind of that medium um, to, to share um, what, what's working and what the best practices are um, has been really rewarding. So I you know I just want to say thank you to St. Anthony Regional Hospital for all the work that they're doing to improve outcomes for moms. Andrew, you know, after listening to you know our friends from St. Anthony's and Aisha, I think there are some policy solutions and actions that are needed and we can take. We first and foremost, we need to eliminate maternity care deserts by implementing perinatal regionalization and addressing the social determinants of health like transportation. And the Rural Maternity and Obstetrics Management Strategies Program, or RMOMS, which was established by the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy, has been very effective in this way. 
I think another policy solution is we need to expand Medicaid or keep the Medicaid expansions that are there in place and to extend Medicaid postpartum coverage and create family leave systems. We talked about telehealth, but we need to improve broadband to rural areas in order to increase access to clinicians and specialists. And we must improve access to care by funding emergency training. We talked about that, but family docs need that extra training in order to provide quality care and be more comfortable in their role in delivering babies. And then expanding access to certified midwifery, reimbursement for doula care, and then the effective use of community health workers. I think all of these policy solutions are things on which we can act, which will make a huge difference in terms of the accessibility for obstetrical services for rural communities. You've been listening to Exploring Rural Health, a podcast from RHI Hub. Today we spoke to John Supplett and Aisha Sayada from the American Hospital Association, as well as Virginia Camp and Ashley Wiederin from St. Anthony's Regional Hospital in Carroll, Iowa. Look in our show notes for more information about their work and visit ruralhealthinfo.org for all things pertaining to rural health. Join us next time as we continue our multi-part series on maternal health, here on Exploring Rural Health.